Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Overlap. I'm of course joined by Rian. It's good to good to have you all back. We're we're done the Champions League stuff. That part is gone until we get to rant about that probably for like 45 minutes and two weeks from now. But at the very least, we have a lot of football to talk about. A lot, especially in England, happened over the weekend. Like quietly happened, suspiciously quietly, which is two adverbs back to back. I don't like to use, but. <laughs> Um, beyond that, just a lot happened this weekend. Um, Rian and I were supposed to hang out. Rian and I did not hang out, unfortunately. Um, someone may have drank a little too much. Um, you can you can get from that what you would like, but <laughs> I'm definitely not bad. No, I swear, I promise, I'm not bad. Right? Right? Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just an attack. Um, <laughs> um, no, I was I was too tired. Yeah. I, yeah, the, the excuses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, of course, apologies. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I mean, there, it wasn't really a great weekend anyway. To there was do, no, there was literally nothing to do. Out. It was, it was really <laughs> it was disgusting. It was pretty shitty outside. So a hundred percent. So yeah, you wouldn't have enjoyed that trip anyway. No, I mean, you wouldn't have enjoyed the actual trip of of going outside and then yeah trekking your way over here i would have actively hated actually i um i was dog sitting as you know for two days this weekend and i had to walk this dog around in the rain and the wind and every time we came back inside from like our 15 20 minute walk whatever it was he would do the dog thing and shake himself off. And I'm like, no, wait, let me dry you off. Don't shake like New York City water all over the apartment. It was, oh, that was fun. Um, but no, it was actually a very good time. So <laughs> I can't complain. Yeah, not, not like there are worse ways to spend a rainy oh, day. Without a doubt, without a doubt. It's just the only part that sucks is like the fact that it was raining. Otherwise, I would have yeah. gone to like the dog park and just had a grand old time. Yeah, doxing is a lot of responsibility, honestly. Yeah, so. yeah, 100% agreed. But little did uh, did we know that we got to like Sunday afternoon and it was actually really nice. <laughs> I actually walked around. I had a great Sunday, walked around. I was I was by McCarran Park actually for part of Sunday doing some, some walking. Um, may or may not have had a date and that nah, was good. So yeah, good vibes, all the good vibes. That uh, area is just really it is a good vibe area in general. Especially, 100%. Oh, especially when it's warm on the weekends um, and they have like the low market there on Saturdays. The farmer, yeah, the farmer's where like when we used to play soccer a lot, I mean, when it wasn't cold, right? Like later <laughs> last year, they always had the, like it was amazing. Um, then obviously everyone went to the depression that is New York winter. <laughs> it yeah, never yeah. came out. So. Hard to, it's hard to it's hard to keep that going. I concur. <laughs> but Rian, let's talk a little bit about football and what's going on in the world of football. Um, where do we even start? I mean, in England, I feel like the biggest game of the weekend has to be Spurs Liverpool. Um, definitely has to. A big draw. I don't know about you, but I feel like this is not getting enough attention, right? The fact that Liverpool dropped points when they really could not afford to. Not saying the title race is over. But like I said last week, Manchester City, in my opinion, were the heavy favorites largely because of this game um, that Liverpool had. 
So now that Liverpool have drawn, they're certainly farther away from the title than they were before three points off of City 83 and 86, um, respectively. Did you have any issues with how a certain Italian manager approached this game and his game plan? Because a certain German manager certainly did. Yeah, it was all clop, but after after the game, basically saying um, saying how much of it, not really a fan of of the way that Tottenham played, and he said, you know, this this is more or less like this is why they're in fifth, and um, I, I think a bit a bit of it's taken has been taken out of context. I, I think he is he was upset that a team that has the quality is playing like that, but like, it couldn't have been surprised about any of that. Like realistically, like, he's played to, I mean, they had two against Conte this season and then he played against Conte for two seasons when Conte was at Chelsea. Like, you know, you know how this team's going to set up. You played against them now uh, quite a bunch. So like, it's, it's um, I think he's just frustrated. I think it's more frustration from, Clop there, and, it, and it, I'm sure it, it is frustrating to play against a team that is going to sit like that and and um, look for stuff on the counter. But again, it's not like Tottenham played necessarily defensively, and this is what I say a lot with Conte: like there is a plan when they get the ball to counter, and the goal they scored was a beautiful counter attack. So, so it, it's you see the kind of the dichotomy of, of how frustrating playing against Conte team is. And at the same time, it's like it's not it's not just full parking the bus, right? No, and and quite honestly, like they could have scored more Spurs specifically. I think back to I believe it was Sessignon and his chance that he missed, maybe. Um, or I forget now who crossed it in for uh what should have been Augman's son and went over his head later on in the second half. Like Spurs created good chances on the counterattacks that they had. And I don't think that that's given enough credit. And I hate that I'm almost giving them credit for this, but Conte does deserve credit for utilizing his players in the best way that he possibly could, especially against a team like Liverpool who will suffocate you. And that's to be expected. So I think there's some irony, right? There's some irony in Jurgen Klopp just vilifying the way that this team played uh, against him when simultaneously everyone knows how Liverpool is going to play and you have to set up a game plan to account for that. Similar to how Villarreal did that similar to, I mean, in some ways Benfica did that, but not so not as much, but you get the idea. So yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. It's just, it it may not be the most attractive thing on the eye. Like if you're talking about, you know, the most beautiful total football played in the world, but quite literally got them a pretty important point that not many people expect them to get going into a North London Derby that they have to win. Yeah. And, and it kind of follows the theme that we've seen with Tottenham against not only Liverpool, but Manchester city this season, how they kind of need these teams to come at them to, I, I think for them to be able to frustrate teams as much as possible, it, it is different when they have the ball, um, when they have a wide margin in possession against the the opposing team and we've seen like that's kind of been where there's been struggles for Tottenham but we're just looking at how they've played against the top two this season it's two wins two draws 
eight points against City and Liverpool combined. I don't know if any team can come close to that total of points from those two teams. <laughs> but then you throw it at the same time, they are out matching them in terms of chances created. Their XG is higher than, than Liverpool and City's combined in those in those four matches. Yeah. And granted, the, the, that the margin is pretty close in terms of XG, and, and you see it as well with the goals. There's only a difference in two goals. Like Spurs scored seven in City, and, and uh, Liverpool scored five against them. It, it could have gone either way in a, in a couple of these games, but at the same time, no one's playing these two that close yeah. in, this, in the Premier League this season for sure and then we've seen even teams in uh, Europe not be able to play them that close over two games so it's obviously effective and it's and it's not like Tottenham have been outplayed necessarily in any of these games no. right I just don't know what it is like what do you think it is about this Tottenham side that elicits some sort of I don't want to say it's not even like they're playing otherworldly. It's just that they're playing very efficiently. What do you think it is about Spurs like in games against City and Liverpool that seem to be their kryptonite? Because the only thing that I could think of would just be, I guess, how how much their the coaching styles between the I guess the two groups of teams differ so significantly, like they're the antithesis of each other. But that doesn't necessarily mean like gonna get away with points i str- i really struggle with that i really don't know yeah i, I think i just obviously the the playing styles are different um but i think a lot of it too is like having the players that are able to execute that yeah that playing style right is is players who can execute it and players who are like physically like a match or better for, for in some cases um, against Liverpool and city. Like if you have players with the pace of, of son and the ability to finish the way that he does, right. especially I think he, in 2022 itself, I don't think anyone scored more than him in the Premier League. And I think I saw a stat of last week where he has the most open play goals over the last two years for any Premier League player. So it, it's, that's like a really top level finisher and you throw on top of the fact that he's extremely effective in a counter. Like he really only needs one or two touches a lot of yeah. times. Yeah. And same thing with Harry Kane. Right. And, and um, at times Lucas Moore and then at times Stefan Bergwijn, like that third guy has been rotated in and now Kuliszewski looks like he's holding down that spot. And he's been, I think really effective too on the counter, which has been really impressive. Um, I think it's just the players, the player they have the players to, make it work and those spaces are there when you're playing against Liverpool and Man City because they will they just have the ball so much yeah, and, and everyone's yeah. and, and that's kind of like how they keep you pinned in is by having players higher up right, right so then there are right. going to be spaces but you need like the players to be able to be almost perfect in one or two touches and yeah. there's only we can only think of like maybe two or three teams in the league that that have the quality to try to do that yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's that's a good way of looking at it. And I guess Liverpool and City only very rarely slip up these days. And when you are playing such strong individual talent, I think, like I've said before, talent, talent shines through. So it's a good point. I guess, Rian, should we move to the other side of the title race? Um, I don't know how much of a title race is really left at this point. I think there still certainly is one. Um 
I don't know. There was, a, I forget who tweeted this, but there was a tweet sometime yesterday that I saw basically said we could either be looking at a potential future champions league final between city and Newcastle, or we could be looking at um, basically like a league two game, uh, depending on the price of oil over the next couple of years. So um, city, obviously destroying Newcastle five nil. I think the scoreline shows how strong city were in this game. I, I don't think that this is like sugar coating anything at all. Um, I think the biggest difference now is how goal differential plays into, into the title race, because it's not something I had even thought of until quite honestly, like you had put it in the notes and I was like, Oh, <laughs> well, that's, that's a good point. I think it's what, 64 and 66 or something in that range. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 64 and 68, I believe the city are now up four after that, after that five, no win. And yeah, it's, it's these two teams have, this is the reason that city won it um, a couple years ago, right? Is, is that they had that such a superior goal difference. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's always said that you forget about until it, until it's a thing. Cause now they can end, they could very easily end on the same amount of points. I know we don't we probably don't expect city to lose any of their final three matches. Like at most draw, but um, if they were to lose and Liverpool were to win out, then it just becomes a, a bout of goal difference. And now that City have a four-goal margin, like you thought, is if they win their next couple of matches, it's it's going to be extremely difficult. Even if Liverpool wins the rest of their game, it's going to be extremely difficult yeah. for them to overcome uh, the goal difference. Totally, totally, a hundred percent. And I think this is where we get into a, a conversation about how basically every point matters. Um, but even more so for Liverpool and for City, um, health matters. It's not something we, I mean, it's something we talked about in the conversation as it relates to the Champions League, but Kyle Walker, Ruben Diaz, and Emmerich Laporte, I believe, are all out now for the rest of the season. What happens to this City lineup? Because there's still, what, three games left, I believe, in the season? And... Over those three games, they play, I guess, most more importantly, West Ham being their, their biggest challenge next weekend. Um, Wolves and Aston Villa, you would think they get by re- like relatively comfortably, but that West Ham game concerns me a bit because at this point, West Ham only have the Europa League really to play for. Um yeah or Europa League spot for next season now that they're out of the Europa League. But um, I don't know. Do you think City's health comes into this? I'm always not scared is the wrong word, but we've talked about how much this is a different team and yeah. Kyle Walker is not playing in it. So, right. Yeah, that that's still the one of those wings, whichever one Zenchenko is on or – or particularly like if there's a very quick left yeah. winger, someone very quick on on Cancelo's side, even <laughs> like it, it's they they just have now two two areas where you know if someone if teams play quick enough and and there's someone with enough pace that then they can really make, do damage on the wings and yeah yeah it's it's really about who do we think of those three that can that can actually make you know those 
problems happen. West Ham will be very happy to counterattack. They're another team very good at counterattacking. But then, I mean, Villa themselves are are have a lot of pace in their team as well. So it's those are the two teams I, I feel like have the biggest opportunity of, of taking points off of City now. But um, I, I do kind of like where you're coming from, where for West Ham now, like that match itself is their biggest game for the rest of the season. Yeah. And that's yeah. and that's a home that's a home game too as well. 100%. Um, I'm not sure if it's their last home match of the season, but if it is, like there's like another <laughs> layer yeah. um to it. So I think the last match will with be. uh with Declan Rice at home too. Could could be. It could be. Could yeah. Be. Yeah. Not saying it will so, be, but you know. Yeah, yeah, but but it, it, it very well could be. And that, and yeah. it is their last home match of the season. So there's it, it it's Probably the biggest potential for a slip up, I think, for City. Um, Villa Without will be a, a tough game, but that's the biggest potential for a slip up because I, I do think that the West Ham players will be mentally there for it, uh, even though the, because they have something to play for. And like I said, the emotions of the final home game of the season. It's it's the it's all the vibes. That's all we that's all we go for. <laughs> that's all we talk about. But I, I agree. I think this is more of a slippier road for City than maybe others imagined, but I, I also simultaneously believe that Liverpool are in a very difficult spot now to come back and, and truly win this. But listen, one draw from City and everyone's going to be up in arms that this is right back on. So <laughs> we'll find out. We should honestly, we should just stop talking about the Premier League, like the top two, right? Because we could just talk about it right before the last match day. It's not going to change. It really is not. It's going to go back and forth. So why don't we move on to things that are actually really interesting as it relates to the top four, Arsenal defeating a 10-man Leeds who had a very poor first half by all accounts and seemingly slowly made their way back into the game in the second half, scoring a goal, even while down a man. Arsenal now, even after winning a very tough game, goes to the North London Derby with, what, four straight wins, I believe? And Leeds, I think we talked about this last week, were very much in at risk of falling into the relegation zone, are now in the relegation zone. So I have to ask, ahead of the North London Derby, are Arsenal favorites? Or do you think Spurs, after that performance against Liverpool, are favorites? And maybe that's recency bias. Maybe that's a little recency bias thinking about just their last game. But I did just mention Arsenal have won their last four. Yeah, I I think you, we can say Arsenal probably going into it stronger form overall. I mean, you're talking about last few games. Um, it, they they both lost to Brighton, of course, but I think the Brighton loss to Tottenham is really sticking in my mind a lot too because they just that's that's the Brighton game so right much now. Worse. You're thinking of? Uh, I, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> we're not <talk> <laughs> we're not talking about their their win from this past weekend yet, but. Um, no, that, that one sticks with me more because that, that was just another team that, um, granted can't dominate quite as much as Liverpool or Manchester city can in like that, um, sort of dominant possession and kind of wave after wave of attacks, but a team that just kind of kept the ball away from them very, very easily. And, and not just easily, I should say, but more were very comfortable playing slow and keeping the ball away from, from Tottenham. And I, 
think that Arsenal is closer to to that than the kind of like overwhelming attack um, that you see from the top two teams, at least. And that's kind of where I think they'll be favorites just a little. I, I think they, I, at the same time, like obviously like Tottenham's ability to counterattack is still going to be very difficult for, for Arsenal. But I do, I do think that um, I have more trust in their ability to keep the ball. I guess is, is really, I think that's really crucial. Actually. I'm glad you really said that because I feel like a lot of people and a lot naturally makes sense have hyped up kind of this battle. Maybe this is in my own head between Inketia and Saka and, and this, this attacking prowess now that Arsenal have seemingly developed over the last or second half of the season against, I guess the antithesis of Harry Kane and Hongman Sun and some ways Kulisevsky, right? That battle of like the front three, I don't think is actually going to be the biggest part of this, this Derby. I think it's largely going to be one in the midfield. And if I'm putting money on who's going to hold the ball longer between Odegaard and Hoybier, like, I think you know where my money's going. Not to say that that's going to completely decide the game. We saw how, how well Spurs played against that style of play in Liverpool. But I also think that Arsenal are, in some ways, a little bit more motivated. Not than Liverpool, but a little bit more motivated um, and have been over the last few weeks. Just seeing how well they played together and cohesively as a unit. That's honestly what I'm basing this on is, is their cohesion over what I think Spurs have had moments and they've been big moments, but I don't see that cohesion as much. Yeah. I think they've been able to really overcome the injuries as well, better than I expected, especially. Um, El Nenny has come in and not really been a, and not been a negative player at all to the team. Like the, I, the I love team that that's uh, the standard. I like. mean, <laughs> he's not. He's obviously not the same level as um, as Partey, right? And I mean, he's been a positive influence on the team, like genuinely. Yeah. So it's, well, it's, it's talking about renewing him for an extra year. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another. That's a, a squad player that honestly, the, I don't think expects to start every game, and but he's coming in and he's still effective for you. It's going to be a much different task when he's coming in and filling in for you in like a champions league match. That's, that's kind of the test for next season. If they, if they're able to hold on to fourth. Um, but I just think I, I'm with you. I kind of trust. It's hard to say that you trust. It's just a weird thing to say you trust either of these two teams just historically, but like I do trust this Arsenal team more Um I, I just trust them more than than Tottenham at the moment. And I think a lot of that has to do with the reliance, I think, on on Sun and Kane to have to be pretty close to perfect in a lot of these big games. And and look, they have done that, <laughs> to be honest, to their credit. They have done that somewhat consistently in the in the biggest games this season. But um I think I do have more trust in Arsenal's ability to, I think, at least stem the counterattacks from from Tottenham. I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. If you have to pick a winner, then it sounds like you're leaning towards Arsenal. It sounds like you have more faith in them. Um, is that where you're leading? Well, if they get a point, then I think they're in a pretty great spot. 
So I, I, I think I feel pretty confident that they are not going to lose that game. And I think anything that's not a loss from Arsenal is, is kind of a win because then they'll still be four points up and yep. it'll be um, two games left. And for Arsenal, that's Newcastle away, which granted, Newcastle have been better. Their the home record half the is, season. is very good. And yeah, well. and their home record is good. Yeah. And, but, but still, it's a game that you would expect them Arsenal with more to play for, with more yeah. to play for at that time, especially. I mean, Newcastle will be pretty comfortably mid-table or lower mid-table by that point, and and not in threat of relegation. <laughs> um, that should be a relatively easier game, but Everton final game of the season is, is could be. We'll see. It could be for <laughs> our. It could be for Everton's life. So I, I that is obviously a tough tough one um, well even even in that position right assuming that they go in same game or point differential with spurs right now they can lose that game it's still you're right top four so right. yeah so you're like you're totally so watch right. for match fixing is basically what i'm saying <laughs> yeah 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 i mean really a, a point a point on thursday and then three points against newcastle in there and they're safe that sounds like a pretty that sounds like a pretty good bet to me if uh if I am a betting man. But one one other thing, Rian, that it's not in our notes, but I wanted to briefly talk about. Um not necessarily about Chelsea versus Wolves, but just wanted to hear your thoughts now that the buyout is officially official, pending Premier League and um the UK government approval of billions of dollars being funneled <laughs> into the UK. Um Roman Abramovich has officially sold the club. How do you feel about the, I won't call it a hostile takeover, but how do you feel about the takeover? How do you feel about the ownership? Um, And can you give us your reaction to seeing his face uh, when Chelsea conceded in the 96 minute? (laughs) (laughs) Reaction to that. I mean, it was pretty, pretty similar to to mine, but, but honestly, (laughs) Well, maybe not because I guess I've been watching the team a lot. I, it didn't surprise me as much, I guess, as him. But um, no, so what Ellie is referring to is the uh, Chelsea putting out a statement last Friday that they'd reached terms with Todd Bowley and and his consortium to take over the club. Um, I believe it's two and a half billion pounds up up front with a commitment to spend another like I think one and a half to two billion on the club for the next 10 years and then there's this there's a whole other thing that has to do with the 1.6 billion dollar billion pound loan that's owed to Roman uh Abramovich and and that's I I am not the source to come to for how for how that's going to be solved that's that sounds like something that's going to be between the UK government and Aravich, but but more or less that's 1.6 billion will also be thrown into the price as well so you're talking about almost like or over 4 billion pounds for chelsea and abs- absurd i mean Sid, i think that'll make it technically the big the um biggest sale ever for a t- for a sports team so uh, i think the previous i think the dodgers might have been five or two billion or five billion so- I think someone was sold for five billion recently, but either way, 
you're talking about a massive sale and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the rest of these Premier League clubs in the next six or seven years. It, it, it's like that's if that's where the, the price is now, I don't who knows. But um, in any case, um, I think it's it's good for the club, obviously, to, to get past that point. They still need to get the UK government to um, extend a license to actually sell the club. So it's not officially official, but terms signed and, and whatnot. And I think it's just good for the club to be able to move past this and excited for a different era of the club. It'll be, it'll be one that I don't expect as quite the amount of uh, 190 to 100 million pound signings. And at the same time, maybe that's a good thing. So um, De- definitely we'll a good thing. Um, unless of course, Declan Rice, comes uh, yeah yeah that uh, i i i would be surprised i would be surprised but if, if he uh, came i would be surprised well d- i mean depending on the price of course but. right right yeah <laughs> but, i kind of agree with you yeah um but yeah yeah it's 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 uh, the only thing i i hope that that uh money is continued to be invested in the academy and i really hope that money is continued to be invested in the women's team who won their third straight uh women's super league title this past weekend if someone gets a chance to see the sam kerr goal yeah yeah didn't she uh, she went she won her a golden boot back as to, well yeah back to back yeah. i think gold boot. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, so you know we'll see why well this is going to be a very different the club will be very different i think in like three years in terms of i think how it markets itself is probably a better way to say it definitely um, definitely yeah, but uh, outside of that, Elias, you touched on it a little earlier. Brighton's four 0 when it gets Manchester United, who are their the players are mentally out there in Cancun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those guys are those guys are out. They're out. I mean, it's <laughs> but good on Brighton, of course. So always show some love. Let me point they, out they, that they Brighton plates incredibly well. Like it was just... again. Yeah. Yeah, all <laughs> over the place. Like, they easily could have had six. Easily. Like, that's not, I don't, that's not hyperbole at all. It was honestly, like, from start to finish, just a dominant performance from Brighton. And um, I think my favorite part of that game was just seeing Ronaldo laugh. Not because, like, it was enjoyable, <laughs> but more so just, like, like, what have I come back to? Like, the realization of, like, what am I doing here? I what I genuinely wonder if he will be there next season, knowing that they will not be in the Champions League. I truly want that would be the first time we've seen Cristiano Ronaldo not in the Champions League in get this 20 years. 20 years. That's how long it would have been since that's absurd. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Well, it's always a conference <laughs> league. There's it. A- <laughs> honestly that if there's like a real chance that they just they become, end up the, in the, become the become the record goal scorer for the champ for the conference <laughs> league forever yeah One 30 season. 30 goals I mean, yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i mean that would kind of be fun to watch but uh I, yeah i'd be surprised if he did that god yeah listen man i've been there as a barcelona fan you know that but anyway let's take a break we'll talk about la liga and all the fun things going on there um (laughs) rip man united
All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk a little Spanish football. Let's talk about all the fun things going on in Spain. Of course, Real Madrid have won the league, but there's still many talking points about the top four. And there are also some very interesting relegation battles, uh, namely this past weekend, Granada defeating Mallorca 6-2, a result I certainly did not see coming. Not less because of the, the winning side, but more so just the number of goals scored um and thinking about the actual goal, goal scorers in that game no it was not luis suarez although he did score once but uh scoring the majority of of those goals it was jorge molina a player who is now 40 and going on to potentially save granada from god knows what potentially has for them um next season but without further ado rian let's talk a little bit about the first kind of talking point that I wanted to get to was Sevilla. So, oh, yes. I, 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 you put you put it in here, and and I, I'd almost kind of forgotten. I'd kind of forgotten that Sevilla were second for most of the season. Yeah, <laughs> um, a team that went from looking like they were in a position that not necessarily they would overtake they could they could outplay Real Madrid for the rest of the season but if something were to happen to Karen Benzema basically for a long term they had they were in a position where they could have been able to capitalize and I think probably be able to to get jump ahead of Real Madrid right but you go from a team that was in second for pretty much the entire first half of the season team that since December 31st, 2021, so the entire 2022 so far, there's sixth in points behind Bilbao and Villarreal and, of course, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and, and Atletico Madrid. And the same thing that we kind of felt about them in the first half of the season, where, <laughs> you know, it seems like they were scoring a lot of crazy goals and and, and um really kind of outperforming their their underlying numbers. When you look at 2022, they are also sixth in terms of goals scored. They're, they're defending still quite good, still top three in the league, but the goals have completely dried up. Yeah. And even the return of Nasiri has not helped that very much. And the addition of Anthony Martial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point, and I guess I'll add on statistically to this, right? if we kind of pick and choose our timeframes going back to late October, kind of November timeframe, Sevilla were on 28 points and Real Madrid were on 30 points. That's how close this title race was. And it was a very legitimate title race at that point. But I think you just mentioned probably one of the biggest things that's happened with Sevilla over the last four to five months, they've seen some pretty, pretty major injuries. There's a reason why Eric Lamella had to be brought in. There's a reason why Anthony Martial was brought in. It's largely because of those injuries that you talked about. And Nasiri Ocampos was injured at some point, right? Everyone seemingly in this side was injured outside of maybe Rakitic, right? And and Jules Kunde. Like, like it, seemingly those majority of these players were really, really struggling for fitness. And it's actually a question I wanted to kind of like throw back at you. Who do you like? who do you blame for situations like that when there's so clearly a consistency of injuries taking place in a squad? Do you blame, because I feel like it is very easy to blame the medical staff 
of of a club, but we're not doctors. We don't know anything about that. But is there also something to be said about the way that these players train, right? And the the regiments that are put together for them. Like it it can't purely just be coincidence that everyone in Sevilla is getting injured this month this much because it quite literally cost them a potential league title. It also led to, I think they have only four wins in their last 15 games. So it's just a horrible, horrible drop off in form. Yeah, I, I wonder if if part of that and, and maybe you can answer this better than me, but I wonder if part of that as well is to lack of rotation yeah. in the starting 11 for Sevilla. Um, I know, like you said, they, they had a lot of injuries and that forces you at times to play players who are not 100%, either not fully match fit or they're carrying something and, and it forces you to do that more times than you want to when you have such a list of injured players outside of, of who's available. So I, I think that that kind of catches up to to you as well especially when those injuries for them started early in the season yeah no that's so true that's so true I think the injuries plus the fact that players like Lamella and Martial came in and were not very effective I think Lamella more so right certainly scored a crucial goal uh, against Real Madrid and has scored prior to that obviously um, but also has been in and out due to injury so it's very hit or miss Anthony Martial is certainly not going to be staying to be a pass this, this summer, but it's just sad to see that they're, they're fall from grace because they truly could have finished at the very least second. And now it's looking like third will certainly be <clears throat> a potential toss up. So those are my thoughts on Sevilla. I really, some, I really just find them a very frustrating team. They are. And it's because there is a lot of talent there and we saw how, much closer they came last season um obviously like uh, falling away at the end but i mean this time they fell away much sooner but as you said more injuries this time but we saw a team that could push at least until the last like month of the season to for the title last um last may so it is disappointing 12 12 months on yeah well there are other teams of course in la liga that we do need to talk about the Madrid derby was this weekend. Seemingly flew under the radar, obviously, because Real Madrid already won the title. Clearly not a very significant game for Real Madrid, just purely based on the starting 11 of, of this game, which, quite honestly, saw basically an unrecognizable team if you do not watch La Liga uh, week in, week out. Obviously, I can talk a little bit <laughs> to, to the starting lineup, but for Real Madrid, we saw... A back line, also in goal, Tibor Courtois didn't even play. It was Lunin, the backup keeper. Um, Lucas Vasquez, Militao, Vallejo, and Nacho in a back line. And in midfield, we saw Tony Kroos, Casemiro, and Camavinga, which is probably the most consistent out of the three lines. And up front, we saw Rodrigo, Asensio, and Luka Jovic start this game because Mariano Diaz apparently got injured in the warmups or right before the game. So that's how seriously Real Madrid took this game. Atletico, on the other hand, were f- are basically fighting for top four. And I think this win absolutely solidified this, uh, solidified that result. But Rian, I want to, I know you have a couple questions that you want to go into, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask, but where do you want to start with this, this Madrid derby? I, th- I, 
you know this it's, it's kind of a weird one right because um as you said real madrid are are fully just trying to keep guys fit and ready for the champions league final like that's that's just that's the case so it's it's kind of tough to um say that this means a whole lot for atletico madrid like i, I think uh in terms of telling us anything more about them as a team but no they needed three points nevertheless right they they did have real betis uh breathing down their back luckily barcelona helped out with that but <laughs> that that was the team that was right behind them they needed to keep winning so we're at this point in the season where the points are the only thing that matter and that's the only thing that's that's significant especially when there is some uh jeopardy in terms of their final position, especially like making it into the Champions League next season. So I, it's significant because they got the three points, but the performance didn't, I mean, didn't matter. Honestly, didn't matter how good it could have been um, or how, or how, how good or bad it was. Like, it didn't matter because that's Real Madrid had basically <laughs> punted on this game. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think the really frustrating thing for Atletico was that they could have won this game by more. And you almost felt like, thinking back to all of, I think it's like eight or nine of Real Madrid's comebacks this season, you almost felt like it was inevitable that Real Madrid could have come back and at the very least tied the game. Obviously, they didn't, but and they didn't have Kareem Benzema on the field at all. They had Vinicius in, in parts of the, part of the second half, but it was really frustrating for Atletico. Carrasco had two wonderful, great chances in the, in the second half. Griezmann himself had one or two really, really good chances. Could have been more. But at the very least, I think Atletico can walk away feeling like top four is almost a lock. Like, it, it should be. It should be. It's not. But with a six-point gap over Real Betis, like, that's, that's going to be tough to make up. And I think Barcelona's defeat or, or win against um the, the the side in Seville I'll call them um that that was a, a big reason why Atletico um are now in the position they are because previously the gap was much much smaller obviously it was only three points so <sighs> a frustrating side for Atletico I mean it would be catastrophic if they miss out in the Champions League so I think it's safe to say they're in a good spot yeah, I guess they kind of overall, like you said, they're they're on pace to to make the top four anyway. But overall, I think this is the season where they've lost the most games under Simeone in a, in a single La Liga season. I, I guess for you, like, is this where's this season rank in terms of terms of uh, success slash failure? I hate I hate to be like binary about it, but yeah, but more, you know, how do you think that? not only Diego Simeone, but how do you think that Atletico Madrid uh, board will look at back at this season? It's a really good question. Um, I don't think they'll be satisfied with it. I think they struggle to, I'm talking in future tense now, but struggle to keep top four. And we're talking about a team who were last year's champions, right? Like that's, that's important context for this, that Atletico won the La Liga title last year. And they barely stayed afloat within the top four, which is, I mean, the bare minimum for them. We thought about a team that had enough talent to actually win the title again this season, but never, ever seemed to get in gear. Largely, I think, because it's, for me, a structural problem. 
with Atletico Madrid. I don't think it's so much about the personnel as it is about the actual structure of this team. It's not necessarily built around someone like João Felix. It's not necessarily built around even Griezmann anymore. It's very, very much a different side. And I said this before, I think Simeone really should consider not staying at Atletico beyond this season, largely because I think he has gotten everything that he can get out of this squad. Not saying it's better for Atletico for him to leave. I just don't think that there is any more room for growth um, outside of what he's done. And hey, two league titles in the last eight years, pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, uh, especially when you're talking about that the only team outside of Real Madrid or Barcelona to win it in that time. So literally he's, he's done. You're right. He's done just about all he, he can. And, and uh, it's like a, a legacy thing more than anything now. Right. That the fact that he's still there and, and uh, was, is it, I mean, is it nine, 10 seasons at least. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's, He's kind of he's an institution, literally. He's he's seen them through their move to another stadium. It's it is like Wenger esque, Wenger and Alex Ferguson, all those guys esque. I know, obviously, not to the same success level, but you're talking about just stature at a club. It's he's he's pretty much that level for Atletico Madrid. So, um, it, it's it's interesting. I, I I think this team, especially in terms of their spending and and the players that they brought in recently, I think that the squad's profile has moved past um, Diego Simeone uh, or his, his coaching style and philosophy, but it, 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 I'd still be, I still expect him to be coaching the club again next season. Fair. But I, I just wonder how, I'm just curious how close those conversations get this, yeah. this summer. Um, that's, how that's much, how much is actually considered, but there's no reason for him to leave. He's the highest paid coach in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that I think actually should be said that he is very much the highest paid coach. But um, we shall see. We we literally shall see. I I don't know what's gonna happen this summer. But the last piece of news, at least, I wanted to talk about Rian is about Barcelona. Where do you want to start? At least we got another glimpse of the. Of the prince who was promised <laughs> this weekend in, in Barcelona with Ansu Fati, um, who every time he's played this season, you're just like, yeah, this seems going to be fine. <laughs> <They're gonna laughs> be fine. He's he's kind of it. Um, but we haven't seen enough of it this season. That's been the disappointing thing, right? They get a, a good win against a Betty side who, as we were just saying, was knocking on the door of fourth place. But it's a good win for Barcelona, and they clinch Champions League again next season, and that pretty much makes this, that makes the season a success, a complete success for true for for Xavi, I should say. Like as a whole, it's somewhat disappointing. I, I think that that it that it was that dire at one point, uh, extremely disappointing that it was that dire <laughs> at, at one point. Um, but a complete success for Xavi in terms of this first half season. Um, I, 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 I can't, I can't really put it any other way. Yeah. I, I, I guess for you, I guess what, how do you kind of evaluate that success? Right. It, does it, yeah. 
because obviously like part of it is he had to come in and kind of patch things up very quickly but at the same time you have to also be hoping that you see some hope for the future as well and and i feel definitely like you saw a lot of that so i guess kind of what's what's the the range of success that you felt like for, for yeah season? let's let's be very clear this was not a successful season which i don't think is what you're saying right this was a very poor season overall and i think that there is a lot of improvement that needs to happen over the summer and consequently next season. But I think what you're referring to is the fact that over the course of the first half of the season, Barcelona picked up, I think it was something like 18 points under Komen, like very, very poor for, for several months. And Xavi in basically the second half of the season or the time since he took over, picked up 51 points, the same number of points Real Madrid picked up in the same time frame. Whereas Komen was off by about 13 points or, or 12 points, maybe um, from Real Madrid in the first half of the season. That alone, I think, tells you a really important story that although Xavi has not had an incredible win percentage and there's still a lot to change, you can see a sense of an identity forming with this team, a sense of style that's that's coming back. And I hate this usage of Barcelona DNA because I think it's overused. And similar, similarly enough, like, I think back to how we talk about like Cruyffism, right? And how that's like Barcelona style of play. But in reality, like the disciples are more devoted than the actual teacher, if that makes sense. Like Cruyff in his time as manager adopted a lot of how he played and it wasn't all possession-based style, but like that wasn't everything. Whereas like Pep and Xavi, I think are very much more ingrained in that. And you know this from reading all the books that you read, but like that doesn't fly in modern football. And I think Xavi has started to realize that. And you can see that this team is very much focused a little bit more on, you know, I don't want to say physical play, but it it is a faster team. It is a more physical team. It is a more able-bodied team, essentially, which we were just lacking. Um, And that's all important. And obviously Ansu Fati coming back from injury, the last two games he's played like I've realized this 240 something minutes this entire season, obviously over the course of multiple games and scored four goals in that entire time frame, which means he has scored an average of a goal every 61 minutes, which is insane. He scored this weekend against Real Batista against uh, in think 70, 71 seconds, something like that after coming on. So yeah, he's he's in a good he's in a good spot. <laughs> he does the quick the quick goals too, like the yeah. Um, I, I'm forgetting, but didn't he score a goal very early in the match earlier this season? I could be wrong. I could be. It could have been another one where he subbed on and scored almost immediately. I think but, I think you might be thinking of. I think they were playing Levante uh, at home, and, and this is I mean, I think back in September. Yes, he did. He did the same thing. Yeah, I mean. Uh, the guy when he is fit, um we've seen it like he he's kind of like the jewel the crown jewel. Pedri has obviously has been unbelievable, I've been amazing, and then he's gonna be one of the best midfielders in the world. But when you're talking about like someone with uh I guess what they call it in Spain, crack. Like that's, yeah, that's Fati, yeah. right? Yep, he's your he's your crack player, you know, like that star player. He's as uh 
as Rion, not not Rion says, but as that meme says, he's got that dog in him. He's just he is that guy. So anyway, I'm gonna leave my meme formats to myself and not go down that rabbit hole. But um, I think that's everything, right? Yes, I think so. I okay. think so. Um, I don't, only other thing I'll add in is that I watched a couple of the um, the Milan games this past weekend. Is that that title's getting, as we've talked about before, very, very close. Uh, Inter were down 2 0 on Friday yeah. and came back and won 4 2 with some Lautaro Martinez goals. And then um, Milan, Milan were also down. Also down early 1 0 and then came back themselves and won it. It was 3 1, I think, by the end of it. 3 1. Um, yeah. Two teams that, that, you know, not, none of them are perfect and none of them are remotely unbeatable and that's probably what makes this more fun because then they also all have they all play with like very on italian flair i guess so there's <laughs> Ser- Ser- i is surprisingly very 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 fun a lot of these games because everything is very open so yeah. it's, it's it's um it's definitely like a different pace and it's and it's a lot of fun to watch honestly so um We'll see. It's going. It looks like it's going down to basically the final. It looks it, like it, it might will go down be the, to last, the final day. last day. Yeah, yeah, and, for sure. And my goodness, I, I think I saw a sad that Milan reached eighty points for the first time in over a decade, or in a, or in literally a decade. Insane. Like the the their the comeback is pretty much complete. Back in the Champions League, back to title contending, potentially winning a title. It's they've they've they're fully back. That's amazing. It's actually amazing. I uh, I can only commend them seriously for how far they've come. Uh, I think you were saying this earlier, like what the nature of football will look like in six, seven years with how different, let's call them investment groups who will get involved in sport um, and especially European football. I think for them, this might be a, a very interesting case study, unfortunately, unfortunately, but it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Milan, a team owned, who was brought out by, by an investment fund in the last, few years and they've they've genuinely turned the team around yeah it's um yeah i i Omaha. all right it's an interesting one to to, (laughs) yeah it's an interesting one to wrestle with but or i'm just happy that we're seeing ac milan as looks like a team that's going to be more of a normal um participant in champions league at least yeah that i mean for the culture it's for the culture man Anyway, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back next week after this whole round of weekend games. Stay tuned for more content and whatever comes the summer with the transfer window. And oh, apparently Holland's going to Manchester City. Yeah, so there's that. Um, yeah, we'll have to we'll, 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 we'll talk, to about, talk that about that next week or something. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll find time to talk about that in the next month or so. Talk about money, man. All right, we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.